Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Stu. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to see you all. The most important thing in your life is not what you do, but it's who you become. The most important thing in your life is not what you do, but it's who you become. The most important thing in your life, it isn't what you do, but it's who you become. Can I invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? We're in the middle of a season of teaching in the life of our church. Over the past six weeks, we have been asking the question, what is the church? And we've been exploring five answers to that question because the church, it is to be a people that is marked by formation, by community, by worship, by service, and by generosity. But between now and the start of Advent, we want to do something that might feel a little bit like deja vu because we're going to teach into these five answers again. Because as we've explored the meaning of what the church is, we're going to take the next two months to explore what it means for us to commit to the life of the church and specifically the life of this church. And so we're going to be teaching into five commitments, five ways of living that release us into being the church here and now. And those five commitments, surprise, surprise, they are formation, community, worship, service, and generosity. Through our teaching here on Sundays and also our conversations in tribes, we are leading you somewhere. We're leading you to a moment which is going to take place on the last Sunday in November, where as we look ahead to 2024, we're going to invite you if you want to, to make a commitment, a covenant, even to put these five ways of living into practice in your life. And so the teaching in the Here For Now mini-series that we're just starting today is going to stack on top of our teaching from the What Is The Church series. And each talk is going to land with a clear call around how we're able to live out these commitments together next year. And so this morning, I'm going to be building upon Andy's teaching on formation from a few weeks ago. Whenever we use that word formation, we're talking about the process that shapes us or molds us into the image or the likeness of someone or something. Just think like a potter who takes some clay and molds it into a vase or a vase or a vase, right? Formation, it isn't a Christian thing, it's a human thing. Everyone is formed by their environments, by their choices, by their habits, by the stories that they tell themselves, but also, and I guess most importantly, the people that are around them. But for us in the church, we like to talk about a very specific kind of formation. We're talking about the process of being formed or shaped into the image, the likeness of Jesus, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of other people. Formation into Christ-likeness it is worth committing your life to. And why? Well, I've said it once, twice, three times, and I'm going to say it again. In the words of Dallas Willard, the most important thing in your life, it is not what you do, but it is who you become. 
And so for us as followers of Jesus, we believe that our lives are to be marked by like a kind of metamorphosis. This is kind of primary school science, right? But consider the butterfly. The butterfly starts off as an egg and then grows into a caterpillar and then the larva becomes a chrysalis and within the chrysalis, a butterfly is formed. And in our lives, a metamorphosis, a change like that is supposed to happen or in the language of the New Testament, a transformation is to take place in our lives. We are those who have encountered Jesus. We have received his new life. And at the end point of our transformation, as we read in 1 John 3, we know that whenever Christ appears, we shall be like him. There is a day coming whenever our transformation will be complete. And yet we find ourselves in this in-between space. And right here, we are invited to a life of formation, a life of intentionally and increasingly becoming more and more like Jesus. And so the question that I want to kick around with you this afternoon is how do we commit ourselves to this way of life in a way that is both doable and in a way that is full of desire? And so with all that in mind, can I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's word? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says this, Come, Holy Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord, given to us so that we may know the love of the Father, may practice the way of the Son, and be filled over and over and over again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. You can grab a seat. To get our heads around what Paul is saying here, we need to flick back to Exodus chapter 34. So would you do that with me? But kind of just keep your place also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, because we're going to be bouncing between these two texts. In Exodus 34, God's people are camping out at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're camping out there for about a year. And throughout this time, we find Moses regularly meeting with God. And he does so in a couple of different settings. There is a tent, which is just outside of the camp. It's known as the tent of meeting. And as Moses would enter there, a cloud of God's glory would fall, would be present with Moses as he enters into the tent of meeting. There's also famously a moment whenever Moses cries out, Lord, would you show me your glory? And Moses is then placed in the cleft of a rock. And because nobody is able to see the actual face of the Lord and live, the Lord places his hand over the cleft of the rock, passes by Moses so that he's able to see his back. There's also this moment which we find often whenever Moses ascends the mountaintop, whenever he travels up Sinai to be with the Lord. The first time is whenever he goes up to receive the Ten Commandments. And as he settles there, the Lord also settles with him. The cloud again descends and his glory rests on the summit. Exodus 34 is set in the backdrop of God's people breaking the first two commandments by creating an idol and worshipping that idol. And God is furious. But with Moses' pleading, God remains committed to his people. And so he invites Moses back up the mountain with two fresh tablets of stone. Moses here is with the Lord. He's in his presence on Sinai summit for 40 days. 
And in one sense, all we know about this interaction is that the commands are given in this 40-day window. But as we read in verse 29, we can know for sure that the time spent together was utterly transformative for Moses. Verse 29 says this, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Verse 30, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was so radiant that they were afraid to come near him. Moses's face is shining brightly here. It's beaming after encountering the Lord. God's glory is now radiating off of Moses. His very being has been changed because he spent time with God. Here in Exodus 34, we see the Exodus text echoing into the life of Jesus, particularly the moment of his transfiguration, where also on a mountaintop, where Moses is also present, a cloud also descends, and a voice is heard as the cloud descends, saying, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." Whenever he came down off the mountain, Moses would have put a veil over his face. He would have covered his face because everybody was freaking out about how brightly his face was shining. But verse 34 says this, but whenever he entered into the Lord's presence to speak with him, notice that this is a recurring pattern for Moses. He removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would have put the veil back over his face until he went back in to speak with the Lord. Notice this pattern of constantly, regularly meeting with God. Now, with all that in mind, flick back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is doing a lot here in 2 Corinthians 3, and I don't have time to get into it all today, but let me just narrow in on one thing that he is saying. In Exodus, there was only one who was able to enter into God's presence. Who was that? Moses, right? But now in verse 18, we see that we all, any one of you whose life has been transformed by Jesus, we can now have the same access to the same kind of relationship that Moses had with God. Whenever the veil of the temple was torn in two as Jesus gave up his final breath, so now we all have unfailed faces. We can now draw close to God, entering into his presence. Whenever Paul uses the phrase in verse 18 here, the Lord's glory, he means Jesus. And in his language, we're invited to contemplate him or maybe some other helpful language around that. We're able to be in contact with him. We're able to be in his company we're able to practice his presence, as Brother Lawrence would say, or very simply, we're invited to be with Jesus. And here's the thing. The same thing that happens to Moses happens to us. As we draw close to God, we are transformed. We get to look more and more like him. Here's the thing. It's the one thing that I want to try and get across today. People are transformed through personal contact with a personal God. That is how transformation happens. Paul here is setting Moses up as like a prototype for us, a guide for how to live life well, to live a transformed life. On Sinai, he draws close to God. He beholds his glory. And through that, well, Moses is changed. And it's exactly the same thing for us. 
as we place ourselves into the presence of Jesus, the Spirit, he gets to work in us, transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. It is by beholding Jesus, by looking to him, being with him, that we are transformed. Beholding is the pathway to becoming. Everything that I'm talking about here, there's really two dynamics at play. There's two things that we can name as spiritual formation. Notice the words. There's firstly, this is the spiritual part, the deep transformative work that the spirit is doing. And then there's the formation part, which is our choice to spend time with Jesus, our action in spending time with him, the responsibility that we take up in our formation. Whenever I think of spiritual formation and the life of what's going on here in Moses, I kind of visualize it as two dance partners coming together. And I know this because I am a remarkable dancer. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to even go there. But whenever somebody, well, two people come together into a dance, right? Somebody's got to lead that dance, right? There's always somebody that leads the dance whenever a couple comes together. And so whenever it comes to the dance of spiritual formation, it's always God's spirit that leads the dance. The Christian life is simply a response. It is always a response to God's initiation and to God's leading. But here's the thing, for the dance to work, the spirit can't just like drag us along the dance floor. No, we have a part to play whenever it comes to the dance, right? So as we read in Galatians chapter 5, as the Spirit cultivates the fruit of his life in us so that we're able to look and act more like Jesus with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, Paul also goes on to say this in Galatians 5. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. We're to keep in step with the Spirit's divine dance. He leads and we follow after him. The question is, how do we actually do that in real life? Ruth Lee Barton gives us a great answer. She says this, in the end, this is the most helpful thing that any of us can say about spiritual transformation. I cannot transform myself. I also can't transform anyone else for that matter. But what I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place. And how? By developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me both open and available to God. In Moses' ascent up Sinai, we see a pattern lived out for us. It's also modeled out by Jesus, who in the thick of his busy ministry life would have constantly retreated to be with the Father, oftentimes also ascending mountains to do that. Moses and the better Moses, they model out for us a pattern that is to take hold of our lives. It is simply this. We are to draw close to God. We are to make ourselves both open and available to him. We are to create space for God in the thick of our busy lives. And the spiritual practices, they open up the space for us to be able to encounter him. Here's the thing about the practices. The, the practices themselves, they are not transformative. They won't change you. But they place you into a position where you can be transformed by God. Whenever we intentionally and deliberately engage in the practices, and by those I mean things like praying, reading the Bible, fasting, confessing, gathering with the saints here on Sunday, worshiping, giving, and serving, each act, each practice, they lead us on like a mini pilgrimage 
where through those practices, we become open and available to God. The practices are like pathways. They guide us into Christ's presence. They lead us from the places that we normally are, which if you're anything like me, is busy and distracted with my senses scattered everywhere. But the practices, they lead me into a place of being consciously aware and attentive of the presence of Jesus. And it is through these practices, the spirit gets to work and we are changed. Transformation happens whenever we place ourselves in Christ's presence. And it is the practices that help us they help get us there, that lead us into that place of transformation. Now, all of this comes down to a desire to connect with God. But so often we get stuck whenever it comes to this kind of thing because of our motivations, our drivers. So for instance, whenever the driver or the motivation to connect with God is religious duty or guilt or shame because we're not doing enough, it simply never works. We always get stuck. Or whenever we see life with God and engaging with the practices as just another thing that we have to do or should do, another thing to tick off the list or something that we gotta do because we tell you that you gotta do them, it always just ends up with apathy, right? Or if we think about our formation or becoming more like Jesus, As a path to perfectionism, it also never works. This is a very, um, it's a modern phenomenon. This thing is going on around us, particularly in the life of discipleship, where in the waters that we swim in that are just kind of around us in the world today, it is just rife with self-help culture, with productivity hacks, um, the the latest influencers trying to sell us something, or we're listening to a couple of podcasts where they're trying to get us to do something. And it creates this culture where it's basically trying to drive us towards being a superhuman, right? And the way to get there is through willpower, by trying harder. And so often what's happening, that's kind of my hunch, this is a whole other talk, by the way, but it's my nervousness about the conversation about spiritual formation, is that a lot of that thinking has crept into our conversation around discipleship. And so we think that we need to be perfect whenever it comes to following after Jesus, and we think that we need to try harder. Both those things get us nowhere. Spiritual formation, as Henry Nouwen would say, is not about the steps or the stages on the way to perfection, but it is about the movements that reunite us with God, with each other, and with our truest selves. Please notice the word reunite. There is another driver. There's another way to see life with God that will always lead to the flourishing of our formation, and that is intimacy. In Exodus, we find Moses continually connecting with God. We've already read this, but it's going to appear in the screen. Exodus 34, 34 says this. Whenever he entered the Lord's presence, he removed the veil until he came out. Now, that word presence, it's the word ponim in Hebrew. And it crops up a lot in the Old Testament. And presence is often the word that we use to translate that word ponim. And here... We obviously talk about, sing about, and pray about that word presence a lot. But confessions of a vineyard pastor, it can feel quite elusive, that word presence, right? A bit intangible. What actually is presence? What is God's presence? What is it or what does it actually feel like? Maybe I shouldn't be saying this as a vineyard pastor. Anyway. There is another way to translate that word presence, that word ponim, and that is the word face. 
And here we find Moses regularly placing himself in God's presence, or a better way to put it, I think, is that often he comes into the gaze of God. Whenever he goes to be with God, he is in God's eye line. God's gaze is upon him as he unveils himself and reveals his face to God. Since Eliza's arrival a year ago, I've come to see that for her, especially in the newborn days, that she knew that Emma and I were near, not just because we were sat in the same room as her, but because we brought our faces really close to hers, because she actually saw us up close. For a baby, the presence of their mother or father, it is in their face, right? The vibrant growth and development of a young one is marked most importantly, by joyful reactions to the face of their mother and father, which is up really close to them. Elle's grown a little, actually quite a lot in the past year. We're going to be dedicating her next Sunday, which we're really excited about. But whenever she sees my face or Am's face or the face of someone that she knows or loves or trusts, her face, it lights up. Her face starts beaming, like so much so now that whenever we give her a big smile, whenever, whenever she sees us, Elle just like scrunches up her face, she closes her eyes, she sticks out her belly, gives like this beautiful, dirty laugh, and then it just kind of saunters off, right? For children, as they develop, it is by seeing a face that is delighted to see them that propels them forward in life. Seeing the face of delight, it shapes their character, it shapes their nature, it shapes their whole being. Seeing a joyful, loving reaction in the face of someone that they trust and see regularly, that sets that child up for who they are to become. That is how God has hardwired us physically as humans, but it's also how he has hardwired us spiritually. That is precisely why Moses' face is beaming. As he comes off the mountain, he is found in the gaze of God. It's why as the cloud descends whenever he is with Moses and Elijah and he hears, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that Jesus' face is also what? It's beaming, right? So whenever we approach God with duty or guilt or with a sense of perfectionism, we can think that we approach God only to find him, like just with his head buried in his phone, flicking through, more interested in what's going on with the rest of the world than us, right? And so we think that we just need to hassle God, get his attention, that we're just in the background for him. And yet, whenever we approach God through intimacy and for intimacy, we come to see that we're already in his gaze and that he is delighted to see us. In the words of the blessing of number six, we see that the face of God, it is forever shining on us. His face has turned towards us. We are always in his gaze. And in his gaze, we always receive grace and peace. We, as his children grow, we are formed as we come to see that we're in God's gaze and that his delight is in us. This is both the beauty and the absolute genius of the spiritual practices because they place us into his presence. They set us in place. They get us into the gaze of God where we can become aware and attentive to his loving delight. 
the practices from the quickest prayer to the longest retreat, from the one verse that we read to the multiple Sunday gatherings that we show up to, they create reunions. They allow for rendezvous to happen with God. They create moments of connection where we get to commune with the one who loves us intimately. It is connection that creates the conditions for change. Why? I said it once. Let me say it again. People are transformed through personal contact with a personal God. As Moses would go to reunite with God in the tent of meeting, God's glory would have fallen. And in a description of one of those moments from Exodus 33, it says this, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Notice the intimacy here. Notice the kind of relationship. That is what is available to us. And it is the practices that create pathways for that kind of interaction. The kind of interaction where even in the thick of our busy days, we're able to both know and feel, just like Jesus did whenever the cloud descended, that you are my beloved ones and with you I'm really, really pleased. The question that I want to ask us is what would happen to our formation, our likeness into Jesus, if we were able to see that no matter how we showed up, whether we're busy or distracted or whatever, that we're able to see that God is delighted with us? What would it look like for us to know that every time we set our scattered senses and placed them before God, that we were in conscious attention to him, that we would be met with his loving gaze. Truthfully, I think we'd want to spend a little bit more time with him, right? I think the practices and life with Jesus, it wouldn't feel like a heavy burden. It would instead feel like an easy yoke. I think the hesitation that some of us have whenever it comes to living a life of practice, it would disappear. I also think that we would stop beating ourselves up so much because we're not doing enough. But ultimately, I think that we would find our deepest joy in looking to him and beholding his gaze. And joy, it is the thing that we're all looking for right now. It is the thing that we're all longing for. And the greatest source of joy is found in the gaze of God himself. And as we behold him, as we spend time right there, we become more like him. I would say about 90% of the times that I've been up here, I've quoted a line by the poet Mary Oliver, which goes like this, attention is the beginning of devotion. I felt in the past couple of years, particularly off the back of the pandemic and also the attention economy age that we live in, that I've just needed to bang this drum. I still believe that to be true, but I've come to see that this isn't quite the full picture because attention isn't quite the beginning of devotion because there is one thing that is more powerful than attention and it is intimacy. I could walk into a crowded room with hundreds of people, but as soon as I see Emma's face in the crowd, she gets my attention and everybody else blurs out. Why? Because of the intimacy of our love. Where there is intimacy, attention is just achieved automatically. It is intimacy that leads to attention, which therefore then leads to to devotion. It all begins with intimacy. And so... This morning, this afternoon, rather, I've just been trying to say this. People are transformed through personal contact with a personal God. And so we're invited 
like Moses, like Jesus, to craft a rhythm of being in contact with God daily and deliberately. Just as a baby scans their environment six times a second to see whose face is looking for them. So every time we look around, looking to Jesus, we meet a face that is delighted to see us. As we gaze upon the loving eyes of God, the conditions are set for our whole being to be transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Spirit. And so I want to invite us, call us even to a life that is to be marked by personal contact with a personal God, because it is there, right there, under the gaze of God, like a potter, he molds us and he shapes us so that we can look more like his son. At the end of November, we're going to invite you all, if you want, to make a commitment a covenant even to go all in with the life and the mission of this church in 2024. And through that, we're going to ask you to commit to a lifestyle of formation, specifically to a daily rhythm of connecting with God. Using the spiritual practices, we want to invite you into a lifestyle where throughout your days, there are moments, whether they're short moments or longer moments, where you're intentionally and deliberately spending time with Jesus. Now, hear me on this. We're asking you to commit to this way of life. We're not asking you to smash this way of life, like get an A star in your discipleship. That's not the point. That's not what we're here to do. But we want to call you into this way of living. Why? Because truthfully, I think in that way of life, you will find the joy that you've been looking for. And so we want to also help you with this, all right? We're not going to leave you up to your own devices. And so in 2024, we're going to be emphasizing and equipping you, the saints, with two practices that I believe are really the foundational practices whenever it comes to the life of discipleship. They're scripture and their prayer. But I want us to approach scripture and prayer in a way that is different. Not that we just fill our heads with information or feel as if we need to go and pray loads, but I want to invite us to see prayer and scripture as pathways that lead us to intimacy with Jesus. And so in January, we're going to be exploring what it means for us to hear the voice of God through his word. And we're going to be walking through a way of reading the Bible that the ancients would have called Lectio Divina. It's a way for us to be able to hear what Jesus is saying to us in that day, in that moment, through his ancient word. We're also, by the way, going to be guiding you through uh, reading a whole significant uh, chunk of scripture next year uh, through a Bible reading plan. But then later on in the year, we're also going to be guiding you through what it looks like to weave a rhythm of prayer into your daily life. So that whether it's like the quickest moment or the longest moment, we want to invite you to take a few moments in your morning, in the middle of your day, and in the evening to meet with Jesus and to keep company with him. But here's the thing. You don't need to wait until the start of 2024 For many of you, you are familiar with the practices, right? There's a whole bunch of you that were on retreat yesterday. There's a whole bunch of you that are going to be gathering here on Saturday to be able to enjoy some moments of stillness. You know the practices, right? You know prayer, you know scripture. And so we want to invite you to keep going with your practices. Or maybe if this is new for you, we want to invite you to come and speak to us in the in-between space. We'd love to be able to serve you and help you out as you try to build a practice-based life.
But here's the thing. I want you to see that the practices, the things that you do, they are not the point, but they place us in the presence of Jesus. They guide us into his gaze and it is there, right there, that we come to know that we are loved. And it is there, right there, that the spirit gets to work in his divine dance, making us more like him. If you're able, can I invite you to stand with me? Whenever we talk about the practices leading us into conscious awareness of Jesus, there is no better practice to guide us to that place than communion. And so we're going to take some time together to share our family meal. And this meal is for those of us who are moving towards Jesus, whether that moving towards him is like a sprint or a stumble. You are welcome here at this table to receive communion. If you are here, but you wouldn't say that you're a Jesus follower, can I just, but you actually want to become a Jesus follower today? You hear the shape of this life. You hear this invitation into joy, and you're like, I want in on that. Uh, Myself and Andy are going to be here at the front, and we would love to invite you just to come and grab us. There's going to be lots of people that are going to be moving around by taking communion and doing some ministry, so you won't stick out. But we're going to be here. We'd love to meet with you, to pray with you, to introduce you to Jesus, and also to share communion with you. uh, can I get the welcome team actually up? So there's going to be a station at the front, uh, two stations at the front, two stations at the back. Um, there's going to be some bread. I'm going to invite you just to dip it into the juice. It's just grape juice. And there's also some of these communion pods that are going to be kicking around as well if you'd rather use some of these. But I want to invite you, as you do come to take communion today, to go back to your seat, to where you are, and whether you want to sit or stand or kneel, whatever is most comfortable, I want to invite you into a space of reunion, a moment for you to rendezvous with God, that as you literally taste of his devotion and his love for you, I want you in that place of intimacy just to offer him your devotion. If you're struggling to put words to that, whether you're finding yourself in a season of grief whether you find yourself in a season of doubt, whether you're just working through some stuff and you can't really put words to that sense of longing that you have for God, can I invite you just to join in in the song that Hannah is going to be leading us in? It's a song that will lead us to the place of intimacy. Before we come and share communion though, just one quick thing. Can I invite, I'm landing this on some of you, so apologies about that, but can I invite a few tribe leaders, also some of our staff team, and really anybody else who kind of prays up here often, can I invite you guys to come right now and make yourself available just to pray for some folks as we gather around the table? Thank you guys, come on up. And if you just spread out. Here's the thing. If, um, let me say it like this. What we're, I'm kind of calling us to or inviting us to is like the least sexiest thing about church, right? Because everything that we're talking about takes place in private, behind the scenes of our lives. It's remarkably unseen. And yet I firmly believe I'm going to die on this hill. That is what happens in the unseen places behind the scenes that are the most transformative things in our lives. And so I want to invite us if you find yourself, whether it's been over the past couple of days, past couple of weeks, past couple of months, or past couple of years, you find yourself just kind of getting stuck whenever it comes 
to spending time with Jesus, whatever that looks like for you, we want to make ourselves available to pray for you. And and a couple of things on this. The life of transformation where we're dancing with the Spirit, it takes the entirety of our life. It's long and it's slow. And yet, there are moments whenever the Spirit comes suddenly and moves in our lives. You might hear us talk about like breakthrough moments or moments of power ministry or that kind of a thing. But usually what's happening in those moments is that the Spirit is unsticking us from things that have got us stuck and so if you find yourself being stuck by religious duty, by devotion, by a desire for perfectionism, by busyness or by distraction or whatever, we want to invite you to come and receive some prayer, believing that the Spirit in this moment wants to unstick you from the things that have got you stuck, right? And now, some of you might be feeling a bit like, oh, I feel a bit heavy about that, even a bit guilty about that. I just want to remind you, guilt has got everything to do with your past, But so often the Spirit kind of impresses upon us a weightiness, a sense of heaviness, which isn't guilt, but actually is conviction. Conviction is the thing that sets us up for a better future with God. I've said it today already, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... So this is not a moment for guilt. This is a moment for freedom. Your body is a temple of the Lord where the Spirit is working in your body, in your transformation. There is freedom. And the freedom that the Lord is wanting to lead us in is a transformative freedom. It leads us from glory to glory. The life that you have with Jesus is not chapter one bad, chapter two a little bit better, chapter three I got it wrong, chapter four things are not working out. The reality for the imagination of God is that your life is changing from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. That's what's taking place in you. And this is a moment for you to be able to receive and experience that glory. You're not that far behind because the reality is, is that in your very body, the Spirit is already at work. You just need to keep in step with Him. I'm going to stop preaching, all right? Yeah. I'm going to invite us to come and receive. If you have been stuck in this, can I implore you, come and receive some prayer. Be open to the Spirit unsticking you so that you may go on to live a life of devotion. And for the rest of us, the table is open. The table is available for us to come and receive. And so, friends, the Lord is with us. The Spirit is here. And as you come to receive ministry and to receive communion, may you know the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you. The Lord is gracious unto you. His face is turned towards you. And he wants to give you his peace. So come, feast upon grace, feast upon peace. Come and receive some ministry as these guys lead us in worship.